Poor Thomas. Thomas gets laden with the title of Doubting Thomas throughout history. It's often how we know of him best. Doubting Thomas, the one who did not believe when the disciples told him that Jesus was risen. Never mind that the other disciples also didn't believe until they saw Jesus themselves. They were locked away in a room, hiding, afraid, scared, doubting, worried. When Jesus appeared to them, he did the reasonable thing. He showed them his hands, the wounds in his hands and the wound in his side so that they would believe. Thomas wasn't there. I don't know. Maybe he was out picking up groceries, distributing masks to those who needed them, running errands. Who knows? But he wasn't there. And because he wasn't there, he didn't see. And because he didn't see, like the rest of the disciples had seen, he struggled to believe. And so Jesus comes again eight days later. Eight days later, and they're still locked away. They saw Jesus. They saw the wounds. They received the peace from Jesus. They received ascending from Jesus. He said to them, as I have sent, as the Father sent me, so I now send you. And they said, okay, great, we're going to stay here. Thanks. They were sent and they stayed. And Jesus shows up. And notice what he does not do. Jesus does not reprimand Thomas for not believing. Jesus doesn't say, You should believe without seeing. He doesn't say, why haven't you believed what your friends, your brothers, your beloved ones have told you? He doesn't say, shame on you for having questions. Instead, he says, Thomas, Thomas, whom I love, let me give you an answer to your questions. Let me give you an answer to your doubts. Let me offer you reassurance. We get it confused. We think that faith is the absence of doubt. That doubt and faith are opposites. That questions and faith are opposites. But again and again and again in Scripture, we hear that questions are a part of faith. Let me say that again because it's important. Questions are a part of faith. 
It's in our questions that we grow deeper in our faith. It's in our questions that we grow closer in our relationship with God and with one another. Doubt and faith go together. Questions and faith go together. Doubt and questions are precisely how we grow in faith. Our questions, our seeking, our doubts mean that we are growing in our faith. So I asked this week for your questions, and I got a number of them. Uh, I'm going to try and answer some uh, in this game of Stump Pastor David. If you have more, please feel free to leave your questions as a comment here, or if you're not comfortable leaving them as a comment on this public thread, uh, you can always email me or message me or message the Spirit of Joy page, uh, and if I don't get to it today... I will try and find another way to come around to your question at another time. And the first one uh, is this. Uh, The first question that I got is that this seems like an especially important question right now. Why do people suffer? Does God cause it? Does God allow it? Nothing like a little question to start. And it is, thank you, an especially important question right now because there are lots of people offering answers to this question. There are people saying that the coronavirus, that COVID-19, that this pandemic is the result of some people's sin, is a punishment by God is an action sent by God to teach us something, to show us something. And so I want to spend a little time with this. Why do people suffer? This is an old, old question. It goes back as far as we have records of people being in relationship with God. For as long as people have been in relationship with God, they have asked this question. Why do people suffer? One of the oldest answers to this question is the book of Job. If you've never read the book of Job, it's a, it's a fascinating read and a little bit hard to read because it's mostly poetry. The book of Job begins with the description of Job himself. Job, says the Bible, was a righteous man, a holy man, the, the most righteous man that God and Satan could find on the face of the earth. And so Satan tempts Job, sends suffering on Job of all sorts of ways. And Job loses everything. And eventually Job asks God why. Why, God, when I am righteous and holy... Have you allowed me to suffer? And God, God doesn't give Job an answer. Instead, what God gives Job is an experience of who God is. And I think that's the first answer for me. The first answer 
as we become obsessed sometimes with looking at backwards at why, is the answer becomes clearer when we live in relationship to God. That suffering somehow doesn't have an answer to the why, but begins to make more sense when we stand in the presence of the living God, as Job did. But secondly, I want to answer by looking at an answer that Jesus gave himself. Jesus and his disciples were walking along, and they encountered a man who was born blind from birth. And the logic of the day at that time said that either he or his parents sinned, and that's why this man was blind. And so Jesus' disciples asked him, Jesus, why was this man born blind? Did he or his parents sin? Why do people suffer? And Jesus says, neither. But, that's it, neither. Neither he nor his parents sinned. But, so that we can show God's light to the world, we should do God's work now. And he heals him. We get obsessed with the question of why. Why coronavirus? Why now? Why us? Scripture again and again says that the question of why is less important than the question of what now. The world is broken and illness is a part of it. Not necessarily because God sent it, because illness is a part of this world. And sometimes it spreads because people make bad decisions, like continuing to fail to practice good hygiene and the, to take the steps that epidemiologists and medical professionals are requir- requesting of us. And the illness that spreads from them isn't God's fault. It's what people do. But more important than the question of why is what now? How given that this is the world that we live in, given that we live in a world where people suffer, how will we lessen that suffering? How will we love our neighbor? How will we take care of the people who are suffering around us? I don't believe that God causes our suffering. That's not the God that I know. I believe suffering happens because this world is broken. And the important question for us is what will we do next? That's the first question. I got another question here. We believe, says the question, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but sometimes you mention that Jesus is God. What does that mean? Can you explain that better? Again, you all have a way of asking nice little questions. What does it mean to say Jesus is God? This is a question uh, that the church wrestled with as soon as there was a church. In scripture, you find these affirmations. Jesus is called the Son of God. But it's also said uh, that, that Jesus is God. 
we hear in John 1, this beautiful prologue. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It goes on to say that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is what becomes Jesus Christ in the flesh. The church early on affirmed Jesus is Lord, that in some way Jesus and God is one. We are strict monotheist in the Jewish tradition, and so we believe that there is only one God, the God who created heaven and earth, the God who rescued the people of Israel from Egypt. And we believe that that God became fully incarnate, Incarnate comes from the Latin incarne. If you are a fan of the food that we get around here, right? Chili con carne is chili with meat. That God put on flesh, put on meat. Incarnate. So Jesus is God in human form. And what the church said is, it's not that Jesus is human or God. Jesus is human and God. He is somehow 100% human and 100% God. Both God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, and God the Son, known as Jesus Christ, are God, as is God the Holy Spirit. We call this doctrine the Trinity. It means three in one, tri-unity. God is Father, God is Son, God is Spirit. This is a question that the church wrestled with for hundreds of years because there is nothing like God. And all of our human analogies ultimately fall a little bit short. They point us toward how we can understand God, but they are not quite perfect. So, we know God best in the person of Jesus Christ, but we've also experienced God as Father and God as Spirit. Makes perfect sense, right? Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus is also fully God. In our creed, what we say in the the Nicene Creed in particular, that Jesus is fully God, light from light, God from God, true God from true God, begotten, not made. There was never a time when God existed that God did not exist as Father, Son, and Spirit. And at a given time, during the reign of Caesar Augustus, that God the Son became flesh, took on human form, in the form of a child born in Bethlehem. All right. I like this one. Should we get baptized as a child or as an adult? There are some faiths that say that you should only get baptized as an adult, that um, you have to own your faith. You have to be able to make an affirmation first before baptism happens. 
Lutherans respond to the question of should you get baptized as a child or as an adult with yes. We baptize both children and adults. We baptize people as soon as they or their guardians bring them for baptism. And it's true, infants don't do anything to ask for baptism. Their parents ask for it. And we say that's okay. Because the one who acts in baptism is not the person being baptized. God acts in baptism to adopt us as beloved sons and daughters. God acts in baptism to fill us with the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that action of God does not depend on us. So if you are an adult and you have never been baptized, then yes, be baptized as an adult. If you are an adult who, who didn't grow up in the church, who didn't grow up in a tradition that baptized infants, show up and be washed in the waters of baptism and receive God's great gift. And if you have a child, bring them to receive God's great gift. God's gift does not depend on us. God promises. God is faithful and God promises that in holy baptism, we receive God's grace. And God's promise will not fail. No matter whether or not we are old enough, smart enough, in our right minds. If God's gifts depended on our understanding, we would be in trouble. I have spent a lifetime, an undergraduate degree in theology, a graduate degree in theology, a second graduate degree in theology, and I still don't fully understand. I still have questions. I still learn new things every year about the work of God. If it depended on our understanding, we would be in trouble. But thankfully, God's gifts don't depend on us. Should we get baptized as children or adults? Yes, we should get baptized as soon as we or someone in our lives is ready to bring us to receive God's gift. Oh, Donna, that's a great question. Uh, Donna asks, was Judas's fate sealed from day one? Judas, if you'll recall, is the one who betrayed Jesus, the one who identified Jesus to the religious and political authorities so that they could arrest him, told them where to find Jesus, received his payment of 30 pieces of silver for that. Uh, The question is, um, was Judas doomed to commit that question from the beginning? Uh, that betrayal from the beginning. So a little bit about Judas. Uh, Judas is identified sometimes as a zealot. Uh, That means that Judas was hoping that Jesus would overthrow the political authorities of the day. It's not an uncommon belief. Jesus, Jesus came into Jerusalem and said, Jesus is Lord, said everybody, which meant that, that Caesar was not. It was a a claim to revolution, and that's what everybody expected of the G- of the Jewish Messiah, a, a revolution. 
and I think that Judas probably got impatient with Jesus by the end of the week, that Judas not hoped that Jesus would die, but instead hoped that Jesus would be the sort of king that he wanted him to be, that in calling for his arrest, Jesus, who had healed the sick and calmed the storms and fed the multitudes, Jesus, who had disappeared in the midst of angry crowds, would find a way out of this and would lead his people as Messiah and king in the way that Judas expected. Was Judas doomed to that fate from the beginning? I don't know. But I think Judas fell victim to something that can affect all of us. Judas wanted Jesus to fit into his definition of what a Messiah should be. And he tried to force Jesus to fit into his box. He tried to force Jesus to love the people that he loved and to hate the people that he hated. He tried to force Jesus to be his military, political leader. Judas was fated to do that inasmuch as we all do that. We all, we all try and make Jesus fit our understanding of what Jesus should be. Every one of us. Was Judas fated to do that? No, I I think Judas could have made different choices. But he made the choice that he did in the same way that you and I continue to make choices to try and have the kind of Jesus we want instead of the kind of Jesus that Jesus chooses to be. All right, one last question uh, that just popped up. Jesse and family, it's good to see the Glassmans uh, ask, do animals go to heaven? Uh, To which I would answer with a resounding yes. Uh, We hear in scripture again and again that not just humankind, but all of creation was broken in the beginning, in Genesis. Uh, In that story, all of creation is fallen and doesn't function the way that it should have. God did not create this earth with earthquakes and volcanoes and illness, but it all came in and through the fall. So this world is broken. And we hear in the New Testament, especially in Colossians uh, and, and in a couple of other places in the book of Revelation, that just as all of the earth, all of creation is broken, all of creation will be restored. All of creation. Not just humans. But in the new kingdom of God, we will see humankind, we will see All of God's beautiful creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the plants, the animals, the pets, all of creation will be restored. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, says John in the book of Revelation, a new heaven and a new earth, not just new us, but everything. What a word of joy, right? 
Um, remember, your questions and your doubts, uh, they are part of your faith. There are no dumb questions uh, for faith. Uh, there are no dumb questions for people who love God. Um, there are only people who are seeking to understand better who God is in their life. I hope that you continue to ask questions, that you continue to seek to grow deeper in your understanding of who God is and of who God calls you to be in the world. 